Welcome to the Love is Coming podcast, the must-listen show for single women struggling to attain or sustain a romantic relationship. I'm your host, Persia Lawson, author, speaker, and according to the Times Magazine, one of the UK's most successful love coaches. Before that, I was a serial cheat and obsessive love addict, but I'm now a bride-to-be and in the best relationship of my life. So, If you're trying to do the work on your love life, you are definitely in the right place. But here on the Love Is Coming podcast, we serve your education with a side of entertainment. Expect serious stuff talked about not so seriously, solo agony on episodes with yours truly, and guest episodes showcasing some of the best in the biz in ways you've never seen them before. So, got a dating dilemma? Swiping right but haven't yet found Mr. Right? then let's get raw, real, and a little bit inappropriate because love is coming for your baby in more ways than one. Hello. So, big news. Tomorrow, as in the 7th of July, 2021, my new book, Love is Coming, How to Find Real Love in a Superficial World, is out and available to buy. And I'm going to be really honest with you. I feel a bit sick about that. Um, I, I haven't really thought too much about the act of people actually sitting down with this book and reading it because I've been so busy writing it and doing all the stuff that you need to do to get a book out there. Um, and so when I did think about people reading it, I, uh, I was feeling, I don't know, I was just thinking of the good bits. I didn't, I didn't really kind of go into in my head just how exposing this book is. And um, right in this moment, I'll be honest, I feel like, oh God, should I have put that story in? Is that a little bit much? Um, Some of the stories are really quite out there. And whilst I, you know, I'll be honest, I think some of them are hilarious and I hope you think so too. And there absolutely are really important lessons and messages that I I hope that you get from those stories. yeah, I, I feel, it feels like I'm about to walk on stage with no clothes on. That's how I feel in this moment. <laughs> I'm actually recording this the week before the book comes out. But yeah, I think when I, the way that I've been trying to deal with this sort of anxiety that's coming up and certainly imposter syndrome, like my head is just going, who are you to be sharing this stuff? And all of that, you know, we know about imposter, imposter syndrome. Um anytime you're about to do anything big or step out your comfort zone, those gnarly little voices love to show up, don't they? Um, And tell us that we're a pile of shit. That's where my head's going. But when I think back to where I was this time a decade ago, which was, okay, so where are we now? So to come out to July, um, I believe this time a decade ago, I was being cheated on or thereabouts by someone I was completely in love with. I went on to write a book about um, that relationship, The Inner Fix. You may or may not have read it. Um, And that relationship was so, like, it was the most important relationship I've ever had because I don't know how much you know about my story, but I um, I had a lot of unhealthy behaviors around romantic relationships. Um... And I will go into that. Actually, will I? Let me just check. Am I so I'm going to talk about that? Yes, I am going to talk about that soon. But the point is, yeah, I I was confronted with all of my demons in that year. And then I think to where I am today, 
which is engaged. Like at the time of recording, I'm actually away in Kent, right by the seaside with my beloved fiance, Joe, and our little baby golden cockapoo, Reggae. Both of these um, wonderful beings were dreams of mine for such a long time before they turned up in my reality. And I know what I had to do to get from being in that place I was a decade ago, volatile, terrified, attracted to to people who, um, listen, none of us are perfect, but who I really did not have a hope in hell of ever having a healthy long-term relationship with because of where they were, but also because of where I was. And where I am today is being in a place where my relationship is far, far, far from perfect. We still have a lot of work to do on ourselves and on the relationship. However, we both want to be here. We can have the hard conversations. We want to stay in the ring. And that is what is required for a sustainable relationship. This is not what is talked about a lot these days. People just want the quick wins in love and everything else. You know, Amazon Prime it, you know. And we don't want to stay around and do the hard graft. And when it comes to a love life, that hard graft might mean that you have to date a few different people. That hard graft might mean you have to go through a really fucking painful breakup. That hard graft might mean that you actually have to stay in a relationship that it would, it feels on the surface like it would be a lot easier to leave. I know that that has certainly been my experience in my relationship with Joe at times. I just think it would be easier to leave than try and stay here and work through the sort of quagmire of mud and poo that I feel like I'm wading through right now. But what is on the other side has absolutely been worth it for me. So that was a long preamble, wasn't it? This episode is going to be particularly helpful to you if you have been obsessed with love and romance since you were little, like I have. If you think you may well be a love addict, also like I was, And if you want to meet your life partner more than anything else in the world right now, I promise this episode is going to help. And in it, I'm going to be sharing my journey from love addict to leading love coach and the most important lesson that I learned along the way. I am going to share 12 signs that you're a love addict and what to do about it. You really want to make sure that you stay and listen to that because it may well be a little bit um, uncomfortable, but you need to hear it. I promise you there's a way through it. And finally, I'll be sharing my number one fear about you reading my new book. So let's dive straight in. It's got a lot to cover today. So my journey from love addict to leading love coach and the most important lesson I learned along the way. So if you're listening to this, I assume you probably, you probably already know my journey. So I'm going to summarize it and see if there's something that comes up that I feel would be worth going into a bit more. I don't know what I'm going to say. here, So let's see what happens. So, yep, I grew up on the outside. My life looked great. Um, I went to a good school. I was popular. I had friends. I did really well at school. Um, I had cool young parents, siblings. You know, it all looked good. Looked pretty cushy. Um, Behind closed doors, and for a long time, I didn't understand what was going on, but my parents struggled with drug addiction. And it was really, really hard. Um, what was interesting is when they got sober and they, and I just really want to like, I, okay, I just want to put a little flag here. Um, I'm aware that I circle back to the story because it's context of my own journey. I don't ever want to, um, I, I never want it to come across as, as me blaming my parents for why I went down 
you know, crazy behaviors in the way I did. Because you know what, to be honest, if my parents were perfect and never struggled with addiction, I probably would have still, you know, nature versus nurture, isn't it? I probably would have still done something pretty out there and um, had addictive tendencies is my inkling. I think it is, when it comes to nature or nurture, I, I think it's always a blend of both. I really do. That's that's kind of my my take on it. I'm really interested to hear what yours is. Um, what's What's been most important for me over the years is watching my parents transforming, um, transforming their addiction into something that was actually helpful to their life and to our families and channeling all that addictive energy that they used to use in a really, um, you know, put towards in, in, in an unhealthy way towards changing their life from the inside out and therefore changing our family life. Like that for me, and it's, this is something I go into a lot in the inner fic, uh, sorry, wrong book. Uh, well, I'll talk about it there as well, but Love is Coming um, is that they, for me, were a story of what is possible um, when you take responsibility and you choose to show up differently. And it's important there to just know it is messy. Like the path to success in anything, getting anything you want in life is always messy. And, you know, I think we um, we have a very skewed view of it. I know I certainly did and can still do that, you know, I'm not in a good way. I see the path before me, the steps I need to take. Okay, step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Now I'm at success and Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt, we're done. No, <laughs> we're not. It doesn't look like that. Um, even when you get to a certain place, it doesn't even matter if it's in your business, um, whatever, your relationship shit's going to happen. That's for sure. Challenges, obstacles are going to come up. And it's, you know, and sometimes we, even if we've been doing this gig for a bloody decade, like I've been doing work on myself for a decade. And I was actually just sharing in my private Facebook group for the book, um, which if you want to join is called the Lovers Coming Lounge, please feel free to find us on Facebook and join us. Um, I was just sharing how, you know, this has been one of the hardest years. 2021 has been one of the hardest years I've gone through in a long time. In the last decade, I'd probably say in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't feel I've showed up for it perfectly. I feel I have been quite destructive. Um, Nowhere near how I used to be. Like I haven't completely fucked my life up like I would have back in the day. But I've definitely danced around, you know, I've danced around the edges of like what I always say is taking a baseball bat and just smashing my life up. Um, I feel quite emotional saying this. I, I, you know, I've had some moments where genuinely I'm like, Persia, are you okay or are you losing it? (laughs) And uh, some of my friends absolutely have felt the same and Joe has it in moments as well. I feel like uh, I don't know if it's the decade thing. It may well be. It may well be the fact that I'm a decade into this work and and that's a very significant time period. You know, I started in my mid-20s. I'm in my mid-30s now. And, and I just, I've been finding life hard. And I've also had magical moments and so many gifts and so much to be grateful for and so many wonderful things. There's, it's never as simple as like just going through a shit phase. Like there's always so many amazing blessings to be had even in the midst of the shit. Um, what was that saying about diamonds amongst the turd? Can't remember, but, oh, ah, ah, okay. One of my favorite quotes from a play called The White Devil, an old school play. Through darkness, diamonds spread their richest light. 
Through darkness, diamonds spread their richest light. And I remember a decade ago, God, I'm really telling the story differently to how I usually do, but here we go. Um, when I was really going through it a decade ago, when I found out my boyfriend cheated on me and, and it wasn't even just about that. It was the fact, it was like the wake up call I needed to realize the pain I'd caused so many men and quite frankly, their girlfriends throughout my life because I'd just been so fucking reckless um, and was just numbing out. And I was a drug addict, but my drug was love and sex. Um, but I was behaving absolutely like a drug addict or an addict of any kind. Uh, but I remember during the, the deepest pain, the most harrowing, harrowing, harrowing pain, because that was when I really was faced with, you know, my childhood trauma that I had ignored. I had these moments of absolute peace, absolute serenity, absolute connection, absolutely knowing that even though life was so hard in that moment, that it was only going to get better. And that's what I'm really holding on to at the moment as well. Um, I said, like, I'm really ready for the second half of 2021 to, to be a hell of a lot easier and more enjoyable than the first half has been. And, and that has been my experience in, um, well, in the last couple of weeks, more or less, more or less. Had a little bit of a wobble last night and today, but there we go. So where the hell was I? Um, success is not linear. It's very up and down. Um, when my parents got sober is when I got worse because I was just, you know, we will always gravitate towards what is familiar. Shit stinks, but it's warm. It's, I love that saying. And yeah, I, my mid early twenties were an absolute bloody shit show, quite frankly, absolute shit show. Um, to the point where at my, at my most destructive, I, you know, well, apart from having one night stands with all and sundry, which was very dangerous and um, gave my Russian boyfriend chlamydia. Um, and by the way, his dad was a KGB general and threatened to have me killed. Um, cool. So yeah, my worst around that same time, I was working in a strip club as a hostess. I got sexually assaulted and that was, that was actually the best. I know that, well, this sounds awful, but it was the best thing that could have happened to me because following on that, I put on two stone in two months because I was not dealing with the trauma of the sexual assault. And that was the biggest blessing in disguise because that's the one thing I couldn't hide from my family. And yeah, if you know my story, that led my dad to take me away. Um, and while we were away, he said something that changed my life. He said, if you focus on the insides, the outsides will take care of themselves. That is something I've really had to come back to this year again and again and again. And I'm talking about on a daily basis. Um, you know, if, you're, if you've been going through a divorce, struggling with someone else's addiction, um, grief, going through, a, you know, a death of a loved one. I mean, there's so many different things, you know, coronavirus, uh, worldwide pandemic, um, going through what else, what else, what else? Just trauma of any kind. I mean, there's, there's so many different traumas. Um, you will know how it really is sometimes about just getting through the next five minutes, sometimes just getting through the, the day. One of the things that's helped me so much, um, all of the things that have helped me the most uh, throughout this decade have definitely been 12-step um, slogans and sayings. They're brilliant. You just hear all sorts and you never know who said it. So there's just loads of anonymous ones because obviously it's alcoholics or whatever, you know, 
Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, something I also go to. So yeah, keep it in the day. Live your life one day at a time. Because with the way that I've been feeling this year, if I thought about like having to do the rest of the year or all of the things that I had to get done for work or you know, stuff that I had coming up with friends or whatever it was, complete overwhelm and fear. And that's where you just go, I can't do it. And you just want to stay in bed and not get up. I realize as I'm saying this, it does sound like I've been going through a degree of depression. And I think that there has been, it's not been super extreme, but it's definitely been there. Um, part of that may well have been moving outside of London, you know, into the countryside as, as amazing as it's been, it's been quite a big shock to the system. And Joe and myself are very sociable. And, you know, in where we lived in London, we had so many friends around us, literally on our doorstep. And we've got a few friends out where we are, but not directly near. And a lot of them have kids. And so it's not as simple as it was for us in London. And, you know, I work from home and Joe's been away a lot. And I've definitely experienced loneliness. Um, and it takes a period of adjustment. But then at the same time, the joy of being in nature, the simplicity, there's so many positives. Um but it's been a shock to the system and, and also not being able to travel when that's been such a big part of my identity and what keeps me sane. Really, really been grieving that. God, I feel really emotional as I'm saying all of this. Um, so where was I at? Yeah, live your life one day at a time because when I think about just got to get to the end of today and what can I do to make that journey as gentle and as 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 loving as possible for myself, it just completely shifts the focus. So really approaching life like this from this way, from the inside out, is inevitably what led me over time to become a love coach. Um, a really big shift came for me in 2012. I was still an actress. Well, I'd just been fired essentially by my agent. I'd had a you know everything that could go wrong in my life in a week, in a single week went wrong. And it was another lesson that sometimes shit needs to be cleared so better shit can come to you. And I got get given tickets to this event, which was for entrepreneurs by a friend's dad. And that was the beginning of the start into this totally new career tra trajectory for me into coaching. And there was a woman there, Shah Wasmond, who was an absolute firecracker speaking on stage and she had a best-selling book and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I remember looking at her being like, I want that. I want to like that. I think I've, I've got something to say, like all of this stuff I was learning. Um, and it's so insane that Shah is now my coach, like my personal coach. And I'm in her mastermind and we've been on a real journey over the last nine years together Been through a lot of different um, sort of working iterations over the last nine years. Um, and yeah, she, she's a big reason why I, I got into the industry that I did. I started a, a positive lifestyle movement with a friend in 2012 called Addictive Daughter. You may or may not know it. Uh, we bought a book out called The Inner Fix. Um, and oh, my dog is reggae, go away. He's scratching at the door. Um, and that was amazing and also really challenging. Um, and when we were at the peak of our success in 2016, when our book came out and we had TV companies wanting to work with us, uh, I uh, basically, long story short, my business partner and friend Joey said that she didn't want to do it anymore. She felt it was time for us to go our separate ways. And, and even though it was the most painful realization, I knew she was right. And it meant walking away from all the success I'd always wanted in my life and something that I did love and really believe in. 
But I knew in that moment, by this point, I'd been with my fiance, Joe, for a year, my now fiance, Joe, and, you know, we've been through a lot in that time and we've grown a lot as individuals and as a couple. And I knew that without a shadow of a doubt, you know, I was meant to step into to love coaching and, and purely help women transform their love lives as I had done um, and continue to do very, very much so. So, um, and so here I am today. So that was, that was five years ago. Um, five years ago, the inner fix came out. Love is coming, is coming out tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this on the 7th of July, 2021. And it details, it really does pick up at the end of where the inner fix was. The inner fix was sort of my journey throughout my twenties and love is coming is very much sort of end of my twenties. I mean, I share older stories, um, but very much sort of late twenties, um, some early twenties anyway mainly 30s, <laughs> um, because there's a lot that you that you learn. And the, the book is divided into three parts, heal, attract, and commit. The section that I would honestly say is the hardest, and it's the section, it's the part that everyone, everyone wants to get to commitment. I just want to commit. I want a committed relationship. Anyone who's worked with me will tell you the committed part is the hardest part. It's wonderful in so many ways, as is heal, and as is the attract sort of energy that you move through. Everything, each of those three sections or three different sort of um, states, phases have great things and have really hard things to contend with that you have to move through. And honestly, for me, the commit stuff has been the hardest. It really does bring up all your stuff when you merge your life with someone else's. Um, My biggest struggle throughout all of this has always been codependency um, in that I that need for people to behave in a certain way so that I feel okay. And it's very difficult when you start doing the work and going, okay, so where where am I, what's the difference or where's the line between me putting healthy boundaries down um, and me being codependent? And it really is a fine line and it just takes practice in all honesty and experience. So I could go into the story a hell of a lot more, but but I'm going to kind of wrap it up there and just say that the biggest lesson I think I've learned, I've learned so many, but in the last decade is the work is never done. The work is never done. It's messy. Uh, every time you get to a new level, it's new level, new devil. And is it worth it? A hundred percent yes, because it's, you know, sometimes you feel like you're going around in circles in when you're doing this work. And even as I felt this year in many ways, backsliding, like going backwards, but actually you're not, as long as you stay on this path, it's like you're spiraling, you're going round, feels like you're going around in circles, but you're actually spiraling upwards. It's just that you have to revisit the same themes again and again and again. Some things I did, you know, for years until I got them. And now they're like, you know, they feel like they're part of my identity. I can't believe I ever struggled with them, i.e., I can't believe I used to just not be able to not cheat and not be able to not have one night stands. Now I don't worry. I mean, obviously stay vigilant Persia, but I don't worry about that. But the codependency piece that has flared up like you would not believe in 2021. So yes, onwards it is, um, it is a never ending journey and I am sure I'm really interested to listen back to this podcast episode in a decade and see if I'm still struggling with codependency. I'd love to not be, but I think this is probably going to be with me till the day I die. Um, But I definitely have learned tools and ways to work through it. 
Um, and I'm really proud of myself for that. Okay, so moving on to the next section. So 12 signs that you're a love addict and what to do about it. Okay, this might be hard to hear. This is taken directly from, this is something I share in um, Love is Coming in the Heal section. It's taken from Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, um, their website, which is slaauk.org is the one that I use. Um, And this is the characteristics of sex and love addiction. I just want to preface this by saying this may be extremely uncomfortable for you to hear, but we all, like I have never, ever come across someone, even the most healthy people that I know, who do not have at least a handful of these to some degree. But it's just, I want you to just listen, maybe close your eyes and feel into to what degree do these sort of punch you in the gut, okay? And then I'll tell you what to do about it. Okay, one, having few healthy boundaries, we become sexually involved with and or emotionally attached to people without knowing them. Two, fearing abandonment and loneliness, we stay in and return to painful, destructive relationships, concealing our dependency needs from ourselves and others, growing more isolated and alienated from friends and loved ones, ourselves and God. I just a little preface there by saying, um, God, don't worry, this is not religious. It does sound very culty, I'm aware. Um, you can change that for higher power, universe, love, whatever you want, if the word God is uncomfortable, as I know it is for many. Okay, three, fearing emotional and or sexual deprivation, we compulsively pursue and involve, involve ourselves in one relationship after another, sometimes having more than one sexual or emotional liaison at a time. Three, we confuse love with neediness, physical and sexual attraction, pity and or the need to rescue or be rescued. Five, we feel empty and incomplete when we are alone. Even though we fear intimacy and commitment, we continually search for relationships and sexual contacts. Six, we sexualize stress, guilt, loneliness, anger, shame, fear and envy. We use sex or emotional dependence as substitutes for nurturing care and support. Seven, we use sex and emotional involvement to manipulate and control others. Eight, we become immobilized or seriously distracted by romantic or sexual obsessions or fantasies. Um, Nine, we avoid responsibility for ourselves by attaching ourselves to people who are emotionally unavailable. Show me someone who doesn't struggle with that. Ten, we stay enslaved to emotional dependency, romantic intrigue, or compulsive sexual activities. 11, to avoid feeling vulnerable, we may retreat from all intimate involvement, mistaking sexual and emotional anorexia for recovery. So anorexia in this context, not in terms of starving yourself like with food, but starving yourself of intimacy and connection with others. Just a little side note. Finally, 12, we assign magical qualities to others. We idealize and pursue them, then blame them for not fulfilling our fantasies and expectations. Okay, so I know that that was quite a lot to take in. So if that really was powerful and you felt like you're like sobbing right now, what I want to say to you is please don't worry. I've been there. I've supported a lot of other women who've been in that place where they realize, oh my God, I'm a sex and or love addict. When you feel like, I mean, love addiction is something that is not talked about enough. And that's why I really go into it in Love is Coming because, um, you know, you've got to think about it. People 
kill themselves over love. People commit crimes of passion. People do themselves all sorts of disservice and, you know, abuse and others abuse. Uh, you know, I can't tell you the number of times I didn't go into work because I was just in so much pain over a romantic dynamic. You know, it affects us in so many ways and it is not talked about. And I go into this in Love is Coming, like there is such a stigma around sex and love addiction. And yet it is something that we are all struggling with to varying degrees. Of course we are, because we are all wired for connection. And yet we live in a world that is seriously, seriously unhealthy. We are not taught how to have healthy relationships as we grow up. We literally are just kind of expected to know. And of course we don't. Like you wouldn't know how to walk unless you were shown how to walk or or to do algebra, which by the way was completely waste of time, let's be honest. But the point is, you know, we don't know how to do these things. So the, the key I've come to experience in my own life is, you know, no one's gonna teach you. You have to take responsibility and go and, have an open mind and go and seek out those teachers. Like you don't, there's, there's not like a parent or a teacher who's going to like just turn up in your life when you're an adult and tell you how to do this stuff. It's up to us to find out how to do this work. This is really why I wrote Love is Coming because I just do not feel like there, there were many resources when I was really struggling in my love life. This is not just about, you know, the subtitle of the book is how to find real love in a superficial world. This is so much more than about getting a boyfriend. It is about navigating the most important relationship of your life, how to navigate it healthily. And that is the relationship with yourself because that sets the tone for every single relationship you have in your life. It also sets the tone for your career, your relationship with money, all of these other things. And as you can probably gauge by now, that relationship, we can't just do a bit of work and assume that it's now we're set. That's what I used to think it was like. Like this is a daily reprieve. It is coming back to it again and again. And it is also realizing you're going to have days, weeks, months, maybe years, like I feel like I've been having, where you you feel like you've taken a hundred steps back, even though you've committed to doing this work on yourself. And this is why it's so important to have such deep compassion and realize that, you know what? Life has always been hard, but right now, guys, like we're going through a global pandemic and any issues or struggles that we have in our life, the heat is going to be dialed up. The pressure is going to be dialed up. We have to be really, really, really extra compassionate with ourselves and realize that this is like we are living through something very traumatic right now. And even those of us, you know, I know I'm in a very privileged position compared to a lot of the world. I know that and and I don't take that for granted, but that doesn't mean that I don't still struggle. And, you know, when we realize this, this enables us to be more compassionate to other people who are, we're all struggling. We're all going through a hard time right now. But as I've learned the hard way, you can make it easier on yourself because the more you run away, and listen, I made a, like my whole life was about running away and it, it certainly still can be at times, but those problems will always catch up with you. You cannot outrun them. You cannot outrun grief, pain, or trauma. You just can't. So the only solution is healing. Um, and it is worth it. I know that I've probably made it sound not that fun, 
but what is on the other side of it is worth it. It really is. So let's go to, well, I was about to say something more positive, but the, the next topic on the agenda is my number one fear about you reading my new book. I have so many. Um, I'm worried that you'll think it's shit. I think you'll, I'm worried you'll think it's cringe or badly written. I'm worried you'll think it's, um, I'm too much. I know some people will be highly offended by some of the stories I share. Let me just tell you, if you are easily offended, do not read this book because you are not going to like it. Um, my, if I had to say it, one, 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 big, 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 big fear. What if Joe and I break up? What if Joe and I break up at some point? Will this five years of work been a waste of time? Will everything I share in that book that I believe to my core, will that be null and void? You know, it's interesting, the two women, um, and by the way, I'm not putting myself in their category, I'm just saying they're really big inspirations for me. Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love and Committed, which is her lesser known book, which I just want to say, if you're interested in relationships and commitment, you must read Committed, it's brilliant. Um, and Glennon Doyle, who's written many books, most recently um, Untamed, which has done super well. But she wrote Love Warrior, and in that book, she came out and talked about her... Um, her husband cheating on her and you know she'd written two other books or, or at least maybe just one book before that and was like a really popular writer and her whole thing was about being honest um and so seeing these people who like put themselves out there and really tell the truth and there is that sense and she talks um Glennon talks about it in Untamed of like you know that she constructed that um story for herself and of course my head goes god what, what if I'm doing that with me and Joe? What if, you know, what would people think if we broke up? And by the way, I don't think we will, but anything is possible. Anything is possible. I'm well aware. And I've just had to say to myself, well, do you, should Eat, Pray, Love not have been written because Elizabeth Gilbert and uh, the guy she ends up with it in it? not only break up, but Elizabeth Gilbert went on to have a romantic relationship and fall completely in love and I think get married. I don't know if it was legal or not with her best friend who was a woman. And Glennon Doyle left her husband with um, her marriage with a man and is now married to a woman. You know, these women, this is why I respect them so much because they have, despite their huge success and what that could have meant um, by them following their truth. And I don't know if they got any, any, like trolling for being so brave and living so um, courageously. But I can imagine that was a really terrifying thing to do. And honestly, that's what's got me through. I'm like, well, if they can, you know, if they can get through it, then whatever happens, I'm going to be okay. And, and the fact is, I believe this stuff. And regardless of what happens in the future, because I can't possibly know that, I don't want to live my life by like, oh, well, I can't do that in case that happens or doesn't happen. That's no way to live. I, if Joe and I broke up, when I think of everything I wrote, I still believe it all to be true. And I still believe that this relationship has been so healing and taught me so much. And I still believe in magic, magical love stories. This book really is is about the magic of love stories. And I feel like that magic, like 
with with technology and everything being on apps. I'm not saying there can't be magic there. There absolutely can be. But I feel like that old school magic, you know, I did, I was an actress back in the day and did English literature at uni. And so I, I, I talk about Shakespeare and Chaucer in the book, and that may well have put you off. <laughs> Apologies if it has. But, you know, I'm an absolute romantic at heart. And I just had to watch in myself where was that uh, that kind of old romantic in me, borderline fantasy addict, which was really unhealthy. I believe you can be a romantic and be healthy. One doesn't have to negate the other. And that's absolutely been my experience of my journey with Joe. And part of the magic has been facing and working to overcome some really, really hard things about one another and about the relationship. And, and it's messy. And as we do, there is so much magic. There is so much magic in long-term relationships. And I talk about that in, in the last section of the book as well. And I don't think this gets talked about enough. I was always just like all for falling in love. And that was the magic. Um, and, and now I'm like, do you know what? There's so much magic. I've been with Joe nearly six years. I can't believe I'm saying that. That is like an insane amount to me. And there's still so much magic. And I'm still surprised every day by our relationships. Sometimes not for good reasons. <laughs> but most of the time for good reasons. And um, he's my best friend. And he's my soulmate. And he's my, he's my person. And if one day we do break up, this period of my life, I will always look back on with so much with so much gratitude, and I'm so glad that this book is testament to the story that we've shared together. Um, and I believe it will be really helpful for anyone who is struggling in their love life right now and who who desires healthy, long lasting love with someone that they can build a life and a future with. And that was me. That was me for such a long time. And it still is me, by the way. And I wrote this book purely for that version of myself. That's what takes the pressure off. Like, maybe no one will buy it. Maybe no one will read it. Maybe no one will like it. But let me tell you, that that young sort of mid-20s, early 20s, or even late 20s version of myself, she loves it. And she's really grateful. And you know what? That is good enough for me. I think that's quite a nice place to um, round up on. Um, I hope that you will click the link in the show notes for this episode or Google loveiscomingbook.com if you want to find out more about the book, um, whether that is buying it. We will put a link on that page to buy it or you can just go to Amazon, put in Love is Coming or Persia Lawson. Um, or if you want to get a little taster, go to loveiscomingbook.com or the link in the show notes, and we will give you instant access to the introduction of the book, plus some other goodies like my free training, uh, free audio training, The Fastest Way to Meet Your Soulmate, and a brilliant, very 70s Spotify playlist for the book. So make sure that you are also in our brand new Facebook group for the book, The Love is Coming Lounge, which is an exclusive VIP area for readers of the book to connect with one another and to share your insights from the book, as well as progress and wins from your own romantic journey. And I am running regular free love trainings in there. So that link to join the group is also in the show notes for this episode. Anyway, loves, I hope that this episode has been helpful. Please do come and tell me over on Instagram at Persia Lawson which of these things that I have shared today has resonated for you the most and why. Lots of love. 
And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. I really do hope these episodes help you find dates that become mates and flings that become things with men who are ready, willing, and able to actually commit. Please be sure to like, share, subscribe, and leave me a review if you're getting value from these episodes. This helps the podcast rank higher so it can reach other people who want or need the support. To have your question answered, send it over to podcast at persialawson.com and we'll get to it ASAP. See you next week, gorgeous. I release a new episode every Tuesday. But until then, remember, love is coming for you. So surrender to the festival that is life on planet Earth and trust that what misses you was not meant for you and what's meant for you will not miss you, including your soulmate. <laughs>